Would you please say, be powerfully kind. Just say it, be powerfully kind. Type it in the chat if you're engaged with the chat. Be powerfully kind. Caleb's story is a result of people being powerfully kind. Now, if you're with us last week, and by the way, if you weren't with us last week, please go to our website and check out the message I preached on being courageously kind last weekend. You've got to experience that message. And um, um, if you were with us last week, uh, you know that I talked about the fact that I'm going to stay right here in Luke chapter 10, uh, dealing with this very familiar story that most people refer to as the Good Samaritan. And the context of that story has a lot to teach us about powerful acts of kindness, or rather, the way I like to say it, releasing the power of kindness in the world. All right, so let's get busy. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Let's hear what it says. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant worked over, walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. There is the reading. Praise God. Now, if you were with us last week, you know we ended the message with this prayer. I hope this is a prayer that you will continue to pray throughout the course of this week. Lord, give me the courage and the strength of character to be kind. Here's the deal. The secret to becoming powerfully kind is found in a combination of prayer and practice. That's what we're doing inside of our Be Rich Together uh, effort. We're combining prayer because in order to be kind, you've got to have the impact of God's love operating in your human heart. That's prayer. But then you've got to practice it in order to manifest the reality of that kindness. So the secret is Prayer plus practice, prayer, and prayer plus the practice gets us to the point of being powerfully kind. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with for the duration of this message. How do I move from being randomly kind to powerfully kind? How do I move from every now and then incidentally doing kind things to become a person whose total life is defined by kindness? Now, I'm going to give you three insights as we work through the answers to this question of how to transition uh, from random kindness to becoming a powerfully kind person. But each insight is going to be followed up with one or two principles that's going to help you to activate that insight. All right? I say kindness. You say powerful. Kindness, powerful. Kindness, kindness, yes, powerful. That's the first insight. We have to realize the power of kindness. We've got to come to understand just how incredibly powerful kindness truly is. Now, the extraordinary, extravagant power of kindness that is unreleased, that is released by the Samaritan in this story, uh, 
uh, is a, a story that has been told now for more than 2,000 years, talking about the kindness there. That's still shaping the lives of believers and non-believers alike. But it had a context. The context really amplifies for us this notion of power. Remember, here's how it starts. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking a basic question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know what the scripture says. You know, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. <laughs> Do this, and you will live. And, of course, he follows up with the question, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this extraordinary story about what we now call the Good Samaritan, this extravagant act of kindness that has lived for more than 2,000 years. You might summarize this context in this way. The guy asks the question, what does one do to inherit eternal life? How do I live a life that matters, that counts? How do I live a life that makes a difference? How do I live a life that outlives my earthly existence? That's essentially what he's asking inside of his Jewish context. And he follows it up with a second question because the answer is, well, love God with your total self and love your neighbor. Well, what's my neighbor? Here's Jesus' answer to the question, how do you live a life that makes a difference? Jesus basically says, if you want to live a life that makes a difference in the world, be powerfully kind. I say kindness, you say powerful. I say kindness, you say powerful. Now, as we consider this point, let's, let's, uh, let's disabuse ourselves of some false notions, some false associations with the word kindness. Kindness is not being, let's talk about that just for a few moments. It's not being weak. It's not being, <clears throat> it's not being weak. It's not being a pushover. It's not being easily manipulated nor naive. Here are some iconic figures that we associate with the extraordinary power of kindness. For example, Mother Teresa, no one would ever say she was weak. Or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., no one would dare say that he was a pushover. Or the current uh, Pope Francis, who is essentially trying to renovate the Roman Catholic Church out of a place of the power of kindness. No one would say that he's easily manipulated. And certainly no one would call Jesus of Nazareth naive. So let's just dismiss those false understandings of kindness. Here's what kindness ultimately is all about. Kindness is being considerate to others, caring of others, respectful to others, and generous. And at the heart of all of this, oftentimes, is this word sacrifice. Kindness is a power that we release in the world as we move from incidental acts to it becoming who we are. I like how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Here's what he essentially says. That whenever you think about love, you're thinking about kindness. If it's authentic love, it's authentic kindness. If it's authentic kindness, it is a unique expression of love. Here's what he says. Love is patient. The word really means, Greek word, long-suffering. And guess what? It is kind. Now, kind makes us powerful in some 
pretty remarkable ways, but oftentimes we experience the power of kindness in small ways. A great example of that is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. Listen to what the writer says. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And what he's essentially saying is you can change somebody's day with a kind text or a kind email or a kind word. Here's how Maya Angelou puts it. People will forget what you said. But people will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you make them feel. Wow. You know, a few days ago, I got an email from one of our partners here at NBCC. And it was a remarkable email. It essentially was a prayer. He emailed me a prayer. And the way the prayer was structured was, not only was this person praying for me, but they structured the prayer in such a way that they were asking God to affirm the things that they were seeing in me, the things that were pouring out of me through my preaching and through my leadership. It was an extraordinary, it was, it was an unexpected email that just blessed me. Not only did it bless me in the moment, but over the course of the later parts of that week, when I was having a tough moment or a tough day, I would remember a Somebody is praying for me. And B, somebody actually sees the work that I was trying to do. And I would have, it would, it would shift how I was feeling. That person had gone on to do whatever they were doing. But that email that they sent to me was, it was, a, it was powerful. It was still having a powerful effect on my life. A small act sending an email it had a powerful effect and continues to do so on me. The other day, I saw another example. Someone sent me a, uh, a LinkedIn story. Evidently, I think this is uh, in Florida where the huge flood uh, in had just taken place. And you see this guy up on the top of a, uh, you know, the, the, the highway and down below, caught in what feels like, looks like a, almost a cliff with water rushing over the edge. There's a dog. And suddenly, kindness springs into action. You see this guy climbing over the rails, scaling down what is the, the, the wall, really, between where he was and where he had to get down to. Walking in the water gingerly. You're seeing the water, the force of the water is so powerful it's almost to knock him over the cliff two or three times. He manages to get to where the dog is, picks up the dog, makes his way back. But by the time he gets back to, that, to the wall that he's got to scale, how he's going to do that holding the dog in the midst of that? Well, there was four or five other guys that had a symbol. They were watching what was taking place. And suddenly, his act of kindness activates kindness in them. And before you know it, I think we'll throw the picture up here. It's not the best picture, but you'll get the idea. They form a human, tra- a human chain. One person reaches down to the next person, reaches down to the next person, reaches down until they catch the guy with the dog, and they pull him up. Wow. That's the power of kindness, guys. Yeah, it, it activates power in others. It's just a, it, it is one person. One person. Trying to save a dog. And do you know what? For the rest of those guys' lives, they will remember that day. And you know what? They were transformed just a little bit by that experience. Just a little bit. They got a little closer. 
to being overtaken by the love of God just a little bit. Now, here's the principle that I want you to keep in mind as you really realize and come into terms of the fact that kindness is powerful. How do I activate that insight? Right here. Be kind first. Everybody shout it. Be kind first. Well, what do you mean? Well, number one, when I say be kind first, what I mean is, number one, think kindness first. Train your brain and your tongue that before you speak, you think, what's the kind thing to say? Before you react, you think, what's the kind way to react? What does kindness require in this particular context? Secondly, be the first to choose kindness in the relationship, in the conversation, in the debate that you're in. Be the first to choose kindness. We see this illustrated in this, in this remarkable story. You have the priest, you have the temple assistant, and you have the Samaritan. The priest and the temple assistant, they come, they look at the man. Evidently, they're not asking the question, what does kindness require? You know, Dr. King said, perhaps they're asking the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to us? The Samaritan comes and he asks the question, what does kindness require? What's the kind response here? If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to this man? And he, out of the three, chooses to be the first to act kindly. As a matter of fact, he's the only one. That's the reality for you. In a variety of circumstances, if you are a Jesus follower, if you are empowered uh, by the extraordinary experience of kindness, you may be the only one in that marriage, the only one among your siblings, the only one on the job that is consistently thinking about and choosing kindness. You may find yourself asking the question, why do I have to be the first uh, to reinitiate dialogue with my partner or my spouse? Why do I always have to be the first to look for a diplomatic game? Why do I have to always be the first? You know why? Because you're strong enough and you're wise enough to know that kindness is powerful. It's powerful. So number one, we've got to realize the power of kindness. Number two, we've got to adopt the value of kindness, you've got to make a decision that kindness is one of your indispensable values by which you will live your life. Now, that's what I mean by values. A value is, a life value is a non-negotiable life principle. Non-negotiable. Matter of fact, the difference between value and character is this, that uh, my value is the non-negotiable life principle. My character has to do with how I daily live my life in a way that aligns with that life principle or not align, right? If it lines up, if I actually live what I say, that's character. That's integrity. If I don't, it isn't. Notice here, chapter 10, verse 31, 32. What's unique about this passage is how the folk, the priest and the Levite, or the temple system, violates a central value. Listen, it says, by chance, the priest comes along. Essentially, he looks down at the, he looks and sees the man. He saw the man lying there, crossed on the other side. 
Then verse 31, the temple assistant actually comes and looks down at the man. He's looking at him, right, in lying in his blood, because the text tells us that the man is half dead. So he's lying in his blood. Come on, he's pulsating in pain. His clothes have been ripped off him. He's been stripped. He's been robbed. He's looking at him. And he moves on to the other side. You think these are the folk whose responsibility uphold the Jewish law. Well, here's what we find at the heart of the Jewish law. It reflects the value by which they should have been living their lives. Deuteronomy 22.4. Listen to what it says. It says, if you see that your neighbor's donkey, <laughs> hasn't even mentioned the name, the neighbor's donkey or the ox has collapsed on the, on the road, do not look the other way. But guess what? Go and help your neighbor Get it back on his feet. If the law says that about the donkey or the ox, what do you think the law expects? What do you think God expects about the neighbor lying collapsed in the road? And if that's not clear enough, hear what Hosea says, the prophet, as he speaks to his people. He, through him, God declares, I want you to show love, priests and temporal assistants, not just offer sacrifices where you're rushing to the temple for sacrifice. Show love. They violated the value, the value of kindness. Do you know kindness is God's value? It's, it's huge value. For, as a matter of fact, the very essence of our salvation, this notion that, that through Jesus Christ we are saved and we are forgiven of our sins and that we, we have access to everlasting life is, is a gigantic, lavish act of kindness by God. Listen to John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world. Watch this. That he gave his only begotten some extravagant kindness that whosoever might believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Death no longer has the last word over us because of God's lavish kindness. And listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Lavish kindness. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7 that God has lavished upon us his mercy and his kindness. It's a huge value that God holds. Wow. And look at, uh, it's, it's a value in our Christian faith. Of course it is. Look at Ephesians when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And as it lists the fruits of the Spirit, you'll find that kindness is there. That one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life and mine is kindness. Now, you've heard this before, the triangle of faith. I talked about this just several weeks ago. That if you really want to know whether or not you're growing in your faith, you, you've got basically three questions to ask. And, and you see it as reflected here in the triangle. The first is, you know, do I trust Jesus now more than I did before? Is my trust in God increasing? The second is, is my commitment to Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus deepening? But the third is, is my heart expanding? Right? Do I care more? Am I more considerate? Am I, am I, am I, am I more generous? Those are the questions of kindness. Am I more kind now than I was six months ago? All right, here's the principle that I want to give you that's going to help you to activate this notion that, 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 that says, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a decision that 
one of my indispensable values is kindness. In order for you to move from incidental kindness to becoming a person who's defined by kindness, you've got to make that decision about value. Well, here's, here's one of the things we've got to dismiss from my thinking. A lot of us think like this. If I can't do for all, I will not do for anyone. I, I can't feed all of the homeless people that I'm passing by, so I'm not going to try to help not even one of them. Come on, scratch through that, right? Eliminate that way of thinking. Here's the way, as we watch Jesus, that is a new way of thinking. Simply this, I will do for one what I wish I could do for all. Do you remember the story in John where there, there is this pool and there are four uh, categories of people who are sick and disabled sitting around this pool? And if you read the story, you can almost see Jesus making his way across, excuse me, moving through this person, moving through this person. It comes to this person who's been there for 38 years. And he says to him, do you want to be healed? And the person gives him an excuse. You may remember the story. And he says, every time I get ready to step into the pool, that's troubled once a year. And I can get whoever steps in can be healed. You know, somebody says, Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And Jesus heals the guy right there, right? But what about all those other people? Jesus models, we do for one what we wish we could do for all. This is what's going on with the Samaritan. You know, there was a 19-mile track between uh, Jerusalem, which was 2,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho, which was 1,000 feet below sea level. So it was this winding path with a lot of curves and places where where criminals could hide. And this path was called the bloody path because people were regularly being jumped and beaten and wounded in horrible ways. I suspect that the the Good Samaritan at some point had passed more than one person along the way. But we don't find him with a caravan. He only has one donkey. He has limited capacity. And he makes the decision, I'm going to do for this one what perhaps I wish I could do. Stop that principle. Put it to work. Number three, finally. So, number one, how do I move from being uh, a randomly kind person, doing kindness randomly, to becoming one who is powerfully kind? i got to recognize just how powerful kindness is. I've got to adopt it as a value for my life. And then thirdly, I've got to develop the habits of kindness. I'm going to practice the habits of kindness. You know, I work hard. I'm, I'm not perfect at this. I'm still growing. All of us are still trying to grow to become more and more kind and in so doing to become more and more like Jesus. But I want to say here that one of my great motivations for kindness really comes from my grand aunt. As she raised me, there were three things that were unique about her. One, it was one of her values. She valued it. Two, She modeled it. Three, she required it of me. It's a good point for me to just simply ask the parents who are listening to me as you're raising kids, teenagers and young kids, is that true for you? Do you value? Is it one of your values? Is it something that you model on a regular basis? Do you require kindness of your kids? And one of the ways that my grandaunt required kindness of me is that she cultivated in me Uh, A habit, watch me, watch this, of noticing and caring. That's what she called it. I remember from being a a small kid, 
after prayer meeting or church service, she would be taking some of the elderly people home, and we'd drive up in front of the elderly person's house, and the elderly uh, person would be trying to get out of the car. And my grandma would be six or seven years old. My grandma would say, no, no, you just wait. Herman, get out of the car and go around there and help her. I had to get out of the car, go around, open the door, help her out, uh, the person out, and help them all the way to their house, make sure they could get into their door again and again. And so finally... I became the young man who was always aware of elderly people. To this day, if I'm around an elderly person who's trying to get upstairs or trying to, I'm going to make sure I'm helpful. I'm helpful. She taught me to notice and care. Uh, you know, early on, when she'd go shopping and she'd bring in the groceries, I'd be sitting around watching TV. See, boy. I know you're not sitting there watching TV while I went and struggled. I'm bringing in all these ghosts. You better get yours. <laughs> she taught me to notice and care. So I became the kid that as soon as I heard the car come in from the grocery store, I meet her at the door. I'm waiting to get the groceries out. She taught me to notice and care. What are you teaching your kids? I know you're not the parent who's going to come in with groceries and let your kids sit there on the phone or hanging out or playing whatever the game is and not ask them to help. If that's you, you are teaching them the opposite of notice and care. Habit. It's a habit. So here's the principle. I've already said it. It's the principle that I've internalized. You've got to internalize. You've got to train your brain how to notice and care. How to notice and care. Notice how this shows up. Watch how this shows up rather than Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 31. Again, we've watched this. Okay. By chance, a priest came along, but went here. Here's the notice part. He saw. So he noticed the man lying there. But he crossed to the other side, passed him by. And then verse 31, temple assistant walked over. He noticed, captured in the words, looked at him lying there. He noticed. Passed by on the other side. Then the despised Samaritan came along. When he, here's the word for notice, when he saw, he noticed the man. Here's the difference. He noticed him and he felt compassion for him. He noticed and cared. And by the time we get to the end of the story, we find out that not only did he bandage and take care of his wounds, but he took him to an inn where he took care of him. You've got to train yourself with the habits of noticing and caring. I've got a variety of habits of kindness that I try to practice, but a lot of them center around noticing and caring. For example, whenever I go into a store, Safeware, it can be Safeway or Neiman Marks, doesn't matter what it is. The person behind the cashier, if they wear a name tag, I'm going to call them by their name. And I'm going to be sure to say thank you for being here to serve. That's just a habit I practice. If they don't have a name tag on, I'm going to ask them their name. And if I have time while we're baggaging uh, groceries, I'm going to learn a little bit about this story. If I go into a restaurant, sit down at a table, and a server comes, this is just one of my habits, I'm going to ask the server their name. I'm going to find out a little bit. Now, if my kids were here, they would say, yes, Daddy does ask all the time. He always asks the name. But in five minutes, Daddy's going to forget the name. <laughs> Daddy's going to be asking us, what did he say his name? What did she say his name is? But that's all right. Now they have to learn the name too. You hear what I'm saying. <laughs> but the, the point here, developing 
the habit of noticing and caring. Here's one final uh, principle, which is you might want to talk about it also as a habit. It's just at the end of the day, practicing unconditional, no strings attached kindness. You know, the good Samaritan helped this guy out. This guy was in no position to pay him back. He was in no position to, to reward. He, he picked him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an end, took care of him, paid the guy an additional two days, told the guy at the end, you take care of him. If it costs any more, let me know. Unconditional. Unconditional. You know, as I wrap this up, I think about my, 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 my habits and I think about my trying to become more like Jesus. And I think about why I practice what I practice. You know, it's for a variety of reasons. One, I want to be more like Jesus. So I try to be a little bit more kind each day. Two, it's a value that has been passed down to me, drilled in me by my grand aunt and grand uncle, for which I am so thankful for. Three, I remember what it's like to be on the other side. I, was, I remember what it's like to be the guy stocking the aisles when I used to work for Petrini in San Francisco and someone come and ask for where's such and such, and I go and help them, and they don't even say thank you. I'm just completely invisible. I, I, I can name chapter and verse of job after job where I was on the invisible side. I remember what that's like. But ultimately, but also I should say, I practice the habits of kindness because I like how it makes me feel. At the end of the day, look, here's what psychiatrists tell us, that they've done tests and they, they have put acts of kindness in front of people and they watch a certain part of the brain lights up and it's the same part of the brain that generates all of those incredible hormones that, that fills you with joy and happiness and excitement and here's a great insight for somebody I just want you to listen as we bring this to a conclusion it's a wonderful insight for, for you you know so often you know when we feel miserable we go home we make everybody around us feel miserable <laughs> Right, right, right. We're kicking the dog. We're cussing out the spouse. We're just making everybody feel miserable. But here is the reverse. Here's what I've also learned to be true. Here's how God has designed us. He has built into our brain an incentive, a self-interest incentive to help us to be kind, to help us to be loving. That the more loving we are, the more kind we are, the better we feel. So when you're having a miserable day, like I, I, I made from time to time, Find ways to be kind. We have a card. We've got an electronic card. You can go to our website. It's talking about challenge acts of kindness, where you're challenged by. I, I, I want to look at that card. Pick some things off of that kind. Bake a cake. Give it to the next door neighbor. Get with your kids and write some kind notes to folk who are, who are um, you know, who, 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 who are essential workers. And the list goes on and on and on. Find some ways. Serve at a homeless shelter. Find ways to activate the power of kindness. It makes you better. It makes the world around you better. And it helps you to feel better. Because at the end of the day, kindness is power. Amen. And amen. So listen. I want you to scan the QR code right here on the screen. I'm going to take you, it's going to take you straight to the message response. I want you to make a commitment right here that you're going to join us wherever you are in the country and the world. You're going to join in our Be Rich to Others. You're going to, you're going to track this uh, series. You're going to participate in our serving and our giving and that collectively we're going to release the power of kindness in the world. Simply 
uh, check the box that says, yes, I commit to be rich to others. God willing, we'll see you soon.